Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, February the 19th, 2021. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. Today's episode, we are talking to the money man, uh, Chris Hansen. I just made that name up, but that's what we're going to go with for the sake of today. Uh, we're going to kind of break down everything in his world and what he does and hopefully drop some education on you guys. But before we kick into that... This podcast is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. You guys already know it's the one thing I take every single day. I never miss. If you guys struggle with eating vegetables, and let's be real, all of us do, this would be the one thing I would suggest for you to take. Or if there's only one supplement you could take every single day, I would say hop on the Greens train. If you guys find yourself struggling getting in all the micronutrients you need right now, we can hook you up with a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order of Athletic Greens. And if you're really on the fence and you're not sure if you want to try them, you can message us anywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, DM us. Go through the contact page. Monica will ship you a pack right to your front door. I don't care where you live in the world. 100% for free. That is our gift to you guys. Then you can get hooked up with the free stuff. But if you want to check it out before that, the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott. Always for you guys. So now... My man Chris is here today, and I'm going to kind of go through his bio here and make him sound hopefully as important as he is, but Chris has been involved in real estate since 2008. He formed the Hanson Capital Group, which originally operated as an auction bidding service provider for the public and later institutional clients, even I don't know what that means. After successfully acquiring 1,500 single-family residences, Hansen saw the opportunity to scale the business through the facilitation of acquisition funding and started Hansen Capital LLC in 2009, which to this day operates as a licensed bank in multiple states, which originated nearly $25 million, million in bridge loans in 2020 alone. He also recently partnered with Tarek El Musa, I believe I said that correctly, of HGTV's hit TV show Flipper Flop and Flipping 101. They partnered together to launch a $100 million, these numbers are so big, $100 million multifamily real estate investment fund under the name TM Investments. Hansen is actively pursuing value-add multifamily properties around the country. The fund launched in 2020 and is expected to reach $100 million in capital by Q2 of 2022. Welcome, my man. Thank you. How you doing? I'm good, dude. Uh, that's a lot of stuff. Even I don't know what all that means. It was a mouthful. Yeah, that's a lot, dude. So uh, for everybody who's listening at home, what what do you do and what do you guys do as a whole? Yeah, let's make that simpler. Um, we're real estate investors and bankers. We buy real estate. We lend on real estate. We build real estate. We've done a bunch of things you know, within that realm, we're vertically integrated commercial investment firm. That That's our title these days. Um, what that means is we look around the real estate market around the country and we look for opportunities that we think other guys are missing and we go after them. So we're, we're bigger than, um, you know, your average mom and pop investor and we're just below the size of institution so we can move quick, move fast and make money. And that's the benefit is being the size you are, you can kind of do different things where maybe giant dudes can't do the same thing? 100%. So, go ahead. There's a reason the big institutions will chase single-digit returns. You know, like your publicly traded REITs that own real estate, 
they're going to buy Home Depots and Starbucks that produce a, a 4% annual return because they're trying to place $400 billion. You know, a one-off guy can go try and buy a house and flip it and make 20%. Well, that's great. But when you have $400 billion, you can't buy enough houses to do that. No. So that's, it's a scale thing. So how did you get into all of this? Like you just... How does one stumble into something like this? When you're six years old, are you dreaming about doing this? <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, I was reading a book in college. Probably a bunch of people heard of it. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For sure. Robert Kiyosaki. It's kind of a fundamental, you know, I think the, the most popular personal finance book of all time. Um, I was in college, and the co-author of that book's named Sharon Lecter. Um, she actually lives in Phoenix. She lives in Paradise Valley. I met her last weekend at an event that we put on. She showed up as a as a attendee and got to meet her, and I got to tell her this story. She came and spoke to U of A, where I went to school back in 2004, and talked about the rich dad, poor dad concept and all that stuff. That was probably one of those pivotal, moment, pivotal moments that pushed me towards real estate. And I got to tell her the story, hey, you know, now I'm on stage talking about real estate. We made millions of dollars and, and bring that full circle. It was really cool. It is kind of crazy because what a small world it is because her son, Phil, and his wife, Angela, both come here and work out here. Maybe that's the, that's the trend. And have, for, and have for a long Jeremy's time. Jeremy's got fitness, you know, real estate success. You know, I mean, it could be. I've done pretty well myself on this small scale. Not $100 million worth, but uh, I'm not homeless, so I'll put it that way. Uh, which is crazy, though. Like, that, that's your inspiration, and then we actually know Phil and Angela and her family. Yeah. I mean, the real estate concept back then, it's funny because I wanted to do it. This was 05. I got out of college and moved up to Phoenix, wanted to get into real estate, but I had no money. The typical guy who wants to get rich in real estate had no money, didn't know what I was doing, looked into it, couldn't figure it out, went into the mortgage business. And uh, And that's what you did first? Yeah. Just home mortgages? Um, I worked in wholesale mortgage with Wells Fargo. Nice, dude. First and kind of only corporate job. You know, started as a customer service agent and uh, and quickly moved into sales, created my own territory and thought at 22 years old, oh, this is easy. You know, first job out of college, making six figures real quick, thought no sweat. You know, that was a weird time in the mortgage business. Like, what, 2005, six, seven? Exactly. Yep. And then the world melts. <laughs> Are you there for that or no? Yeah. Um I did. I, I didn't understand, you know, this is how naive I was. I didn't, nobody teaches you the stuff that you learn in the rich dad, poor dad book. I understood I needed to own a business, not work for one and all that kind of stuff fundamentally. But, you know, we were making mortgages and at that time you could borrow a hundred percent of the money. You you just made up your income, put it on the form, you know, and we were, we were part of that problem facilitating that at Wells Fargo. We weren't at some shady boiler room mortgage company. We were at Wells Fargo underwriting, you know, and originating these loans. I was at a wholesale level, meaning I called on um, mortgage brokers offices and then they, they'd get a file because they had a borrower and they'd send it to us and countrywide and a few banks to see who'd give them the best deal. So we were competing on the secondary market. And uh, anybody basically could get a loan. Anybody. If you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. That's so crazy, dude. How long would it take though? Like a couple of days a week? Just depends. Um, you know, from like application to loan funded was about 30 days back then. Not too unlike what it is today that there's been a bunch of mortgage reform, the Dodd-Frank reform and, and some other stuff. 
um, that stuff got really buttoned down tight and it's loosened up again over the last few years. I'm a licensed mortgage loan originator. We own a mortgage bank that's licensed in a few states. So I'm still pretty tied into the mortgage business, but I don't, I don't mess with it. I don't do anything related to it. So are you working at Wells Fargo when the world just starts to melt or no? Are you already done? Um, you know what? I had, I had seen the writing on the wall and, and didn't like it, didn't understand why we could keep originating these loans when everything was going on, especially in Phoenix. I mean, everywhere you go, somebody's saying, yeah, I just bought my 15th flip and they're like a you know cashier at a grocery store, right? It's not adding up. It just, it, it didn't. So um, I got out in early 08, probably February, March, and everything really blew up in May. I remember that so distinctly, May of 08. And like you just were like, holy shit, what's going on here? It just didn't make sense. Um, I wanted, you know, and I was working 15-hour days, seven days a week. There was just no point to continue to do that activity. I knew it wasn't for me. I thought, And I was still so young and, and dumb. I thought this money was easy. You know, I could just stop and go take a few months and figure out something new to do. And so you bounce from Wells Fargo, the world's melting, and then you just start your own thing right after? So I met, uh, kind of, yeah. I met, um, I met a girl that summer and ended up dating her. We went to San Diego. We were on her dad's yacht. He had a 130-foot yacht. I ended up getting to know him pretty well. He was a developer who was basically going belly up at the time. Only 130 feet. Yeah, it was a little one, yeah. you know, yeah. three stories. Uh, and he was, he was headed to Dubai. And he and I hit it off and, you know, I was like, I got to figure something else out. This mortgage thing is, isn't for me. And he started talking about real estate. So he was working on a, a billion dollar development over in the Middle East. With a B, a billion. 1.2 billion okay. with governments as the partners. Really, you know, high level real estate thing. And he, he offered me a job. So I kind of shadowed him and went and we lived in Dubai for uh, about nine months. How old are you at the time? Um, let's see, this would have been late 08. So I would have been 25. And like you go from Phoenix to Dubai. Yep. And how was that living there? You know, Dubai's, um, it was a really cool place, but there's not a lot to do. It's literally desert with this, you know, they were intense in the seventies before the oil stuff started. So they built these malls to pretty much the main thing to do there is go to the mall. They have these massive, I mean, you can go skiing, snow skiing in, in the main mall That's crazy. in Dubai. Um, so you move there. You yep. move, so he gives you a job. What are you doing for him? So uh, I'm going to meetings and working on kind of sales for, um, it, the pace over there is, is way different. You know, Americans internationally are kind of known for being these crazy workaholics. Yeah. You know, like in Europe, they take four months a year vacation, all that kind of thing. Or you go, you're in Barcelona, it's like you go to a restaurant, like, we'll be back in four hours. Like, yeah. What is this? It's Tuesday. It's midday siesta. What do you mean? 10 yeah. to 2, we don't work. <laughs> I think they do, a, we, they, they do a lot of things right, but it is far too competitive here to do that shit. Yeah. And the pace over there was just like mind numbing for me because you'd talk to people there. The weird thing about the UAE and specific, the United Arab Emirates, we were based in Dubai and we were staying in one of the, uh, it's called the Dubai International Financial Center. It's like their, you know, New York City or World Trade Center kind of place. Yeah. Um, the, the people who, if you want to own a business there, you have to have a, um, a local partner. So like for Nike to operate there, Nike owns 49% of Nike in Dubai. Nobody can be there unless there's a local em. em I'm going to butcher the the enunciation here, but an emirati, 
uh, has to be your local partner. Like so, a, just a native person. Basically. Exactly. Yep. Oh, so shit. you're paying somebody to be your partner to even be in business. And so these guys get, uh, and this is 12 years ago, 13 years. So I may be, it may have changed. There's nothing against the UAE or how they're running things, but, uh, you got money from the government as a, as a share of the oil revenue, right? So nobody was very financially motivated. You'd be trying to do business and you'd call and talk to somebody and say, Hey, I need this, you know, it's Tuesday. How long until you'll be ready? And they'll be like, uh, it'll be ready Thursday. Cool. Thursday comes. You're like, Hey, where is it? And they're like, what do you mean? It's Thursday. Yeah. Well, we meant next Thursday, you know, and then next Thursday comes, Oh, next Thursday. Cause they'd show up to work nine or 10 o'clock, maybe go to lunch at noon. If they came back at all, no urgency. Whatsoever. Yeah. It, noon, noon to two is lunch. And if they come back, maybe it's a half hour, maybe they're done for the day. So like, it's just a different way of doing business. Like some of the trades here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the trade people out there, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's gnarly. So that pace was real interesting. I moved back from Dubai and was in the uh, in the Bay. I moved to the Bay Area. I was going to manage global sales, uh, excluding the Middle East. And it was a development project that um, ended up falling short and it went under. But I, I learned a lot. And kind of his and my parting words were, you know, if I could start over and look at anything, I'd look at foreclosures. I moved back to Phoenix and I bought my first house. Like the, the total rags to riches story. Cash advanced a credit card, bought a house in Mesa for $36,000 at the trustee sale. And that was the start of, of the real estate career. As, of what you do today, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And what year is this? Nine, ten? That was, uh, that was going to be September, October of nine. And what was that? What did that humor, that, what that house was worth before you bought it? The guy before you? <laughs> Uh, I couldn't tell you on that one, but the, I bought my first apartment building, uh, in, in, in early 10 and I paid, um, I paid $72,000 in like February of 10 and the guy who bought it before me paid 630 that's, and I, I got a ton of stories like that. That's depressing for that dude. That's it, bad. Yeah. I mean, the guy held it seven months foreclosure and, and you know what that was? It was mortgage fraud. They paid, and this was out in Buckeye. It was seven units in Buckeye on like an acre and a half. And he paid $630,000. And this was just junk. It was falling down. That was the scariest transaction for me because I was like, 70 grand was a ton of money to me. And I was thinking if I lose any money here, like I'm toast. There's no coming back. I got my dad to help like Cohen. We split this money, 36 grand a piece to buy this property. And we were like, well, we can only lose 70. And that would have been, you know, it would have been the end. And it was a dump. It was horrible. Meth head stripping it. I mean, it, it was, <laughs> it was really bad. Ended up selling it for more than double what we paid for it in under a year. And, uh, I liked multifamily. That's crazy because I don't know if a lot of people, because that's when I bought my first place here because I moved here just after the world melted. Yep. And I had no money, like maybe 10000 I don't even, I didn't have $10,000. I had, I worked for a while. Maybe I had $2,000 when I first moved here and I saved, I got like 10 grand, which is like, I was a, a lot of money. I was a billionaire at that point. <laughs> and uh, I remember I looked at like 10 places, but if people are listening, who are old enough to remember these places were stripped down. Like the cabinets were ripped out of the walls. Like wires were missing from places like people had taken everything all these mostly foreclosures and short sales and i bought my first condo uh by the biltmore for fifty two thousand bucks and the guy before me paid 196 yeah and i'm like that's all i could afford but my mortgage payment was like 
300 bucks and it was great and that's how i bought and everything basically beyond that because it basically you know quadrupled in value within the, about a year and a half and then everything just kind of kept going up yep and With, that leverage is is the leverage you know leverage cuts both ways i know you and i see you know different we're at different ends of the spectrum on leverage there's a right way and a wrong way to use it but but you can't like you guys can't do what you do without it it's like impossible we can but the returns would suck yeah and it would right? take way longer yeah for sure i mean leverage cuts both ways you know it, how much is too much well it depends if you're going to win or lose if you're going to lose you know yeah. lower leverage is better if, you, if you're winning <laughs> and how and how what can you sleep at night with for most people at home but right. again, if you, you've been doing it for what is it now well well over a decade yeah obviously yep and you have partners in the firm no yes. yeah yeah i do have um i have a lot of partners actually um the very first employee that I hired in 09 still works in our office. Uh, and I have a partner who runs our mortgage banking company. She's an equity partner. She runs, I sold that business to a venture capital firm in 16 and she kind of went with it. They ran it into the ground in 17. So I ended up getting the company back and uh, I made her a partner and she runs all day-to-day -day operations on it. Um, you know, our lawyer, we've got in-house counsel, Zach Price. He left his law firm to come be a partner with us and works in and co-invest with us and stuff. So I'm big on partnerships and uh, kind of alignment of interests and the synergy of, you know, a very flat organization where we have um, everybody's got a vested interest in our success. And then we take money from people to invest. And those guys are our partners, you know. Well, yeah, because basically we'll talk about the fun stuff in a second, but I'm assuming you've had some real estate. When you look at it as a whole, I'm sure you've had some partnerships and some I've things that, ton that, of partnerships. that didn't go perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd like to say I'm a pretty easygoing, pretty laid back guy. and, and uh, but, it's like, but it's money we're talking about here. It, it's money, you know, but working with the right people is a huge component of that. Um, I'm not as financially motivated. It sounds funny to be the money the money guy, as you called me, and not be financially motivated. Well, yeah. I like to have a lot of money, and I like to make a lot of money because it, it, it's a tool to go do whatever I want, but it's not because I want to stack it up and look at it, right? Money's worthless to me. It's the experiences and things we can do with it that are, that are the value. So when you look at, like, when, you, when we read the intro and we say, for the pre people listening who are you know, 20 minutes in they're like, what the hell are these dudes talking about? Like, what is a, when we say fund, right? Yep. What does that mean to the person, people at home listening? Like, what does he mean he has a fund? Yeah. So we've got a, a bunch of funds actually. And a fund is a legal structure that allows us, it gives us a box. It's regulated by the securities exchange commission, the sec. And it's a, it's a legal structure that allows us to bring in other people's money um, control very closely what we can do with it, kind of the rules of, of taking other people's money. And then we go invest it into different strategies or investments. So we've got funds set up around a few different activities. We've got some basic buckets of real estate activity. One is banking and lending. You can invest in lending, which means you don't want to mess with any of the real estate. You just want to lend the money to the guy who's doing it. And that's a lesson I've learned over the years is the bank always wins. I was shitty at flipping houses, frankly. You know, I the first few, I wasn't even making money. I was too dumb. I didn't even know I wasn't making money yet because you don't find that out until you go to sell it and you can't get what you thought you were going to get for it. 
You've had some, like, if you had ones that you couldn't sell or that just took forever or maybe you didn't get near the return you wanted to? Yeah. So, you know, when I started buying houses at the auction, um, I had to go get a realtor because I didn't know what the houses are worth. And I'd say, hey, here's the list of houses selling tomorrow. Look over this list and tell me what these are worth because I'm going to go try and buy them for less than that. And then when we resell them, you can list, you'll get the listing and you sell the house for me. Well, the realtors got tired of me asking them to do that. So they told me, well, yeah, these are worth 200 grand. So I'm like, great, I'll go pay 150. I, I go pay 150. Turns out it's only worth 150. Oh, so man. after I spend 50 grand improving it and want to get 250, like the third house I bought, I lost $70,000 on. That's not a good feeling. It just, I mean, I still think about it. I learned way more from that lesson than the ones that I made 70,000 or 700,000 on. Because back then, seventy grand was probably like seven million. I was probably insolvent. Not probably. I was insolvent. I had that was my third project, and I was running them concurrently. And I had people, you know, intrigued by this real estate investment stuff that said, "Hey, can I invest? Can and I, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, I'm figuring it out." <laughs> yeah, sure. And, I'll take your money. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it, dude. Yeah. Right. And uh, I when I, you know, you buy these things, you renovate them, and then you put them on the market, you're waiting for them to resell. In this time, in 2009 and 10, our market was still going down here. So the game was buy this, the properties below the market price, do paint and carpet to facelift them, lipstick on a pig, yep. and then resell it before it depreciates to the point where you lose money instead of making money. So we were playing with a depreciating asset. Today, we're back to a market where things are generally appreciating. So now if it takes a little longer, you're generally doing better. Back then, if it took too long, you're, you were screwed. Um, so I didn't even know how screwed I was on that third house until you know I was on to several more projects. And that's what led to the, the bidding business. At that time, I'd pay somebody three grand to stand down at the foreclosure auctions at the courthouse steps as like a success fee. They, there was a list published every night and, you know, at that time, there'd be 2,000 houses, 3,000 houses around Phoenix on this list. And those were being run through the auction. Um, so that you just, you show up and there's, they just, rat, like, they're just, like, you'd go to any other auction yep. of items except it's homes. Yep. And there'd be, like, 10 or 12 different auctioneers down, you know, down in downtown Phoenix at the courthouse. And um, you'd have lines of people crowded around and you'd be bidding. You know, we'd be competing against each other. They'd call out an address, and then you'd say, "All right, I've got ten thousand and I'd say, oh, "I'll go to twelve and you go to thirteen, and we were competing to buy the house, and you win a house by handing them a ten thousand dollar check non refundable on the spot and you've never seen this property well, so like they publish you know what's going the night before, so you get up real early in the morning, drive around you go drive around, take pictures, and try and look at the houses, see if it's uh jump, you know if jump. it's something you like or not, yeah. Jump the fence, maybe you oh, got yeah. you got to get the intel. And we used to play play games. You know, we'd we'd put like warning signs on. You know, we we if we found something we liked, we'd try and you know game it, protect it a little bit, right? Yeah. We had these stickers, so the market was three grand. I bought, I think, three houses in October of nine. So I paid these guys nine grand to do that. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. That's a lot of money. I could hire a guy to to sit here all day for four grand a month. Why am I paying these guys nine? So we made, um, I bought a Prius. I wrapped it with this investazhouses.com was the, uh, sounds legit. Was the company I started. And we, our, our deal was 1500 instead of three grand. So we just came into the market and said, 
hey, cool, it's good. The good old boys club is making three grand a house. It's now 1500 And we would drive around to as many houses as we could in the morning, put these stickers that said foreclosure notice, $1,500 buy fee. So all these guys who were driving around looking at properties started seeing our stickers at half the market price. That's how we, we got into that auction business. That's actually pretty genius. Which is what ultimately led to lending because then we started bidding. And um, if you were showing up, you had to pay cash the next day. Well, what if I could lend you money? Well, now your hundred grand isn't buying you one house; it's buying you two or three. Because I'll give you, you know, put thirty grand down on each house, and we'll lend you the rest. No oh, shit. And I got into that as such a, an ultimate loss leader. I had I had, had encountered a guy who said, "Hey, if you ever need money for these properties, let me know." He was charging me eighteen percent interest. Uh, he was charging me a fee, and I was passing that on to our customers at no markup. Just so I could get my $1,500 buy fee, I would help facilitate the loan. And then I was doing all the servicing for him. So I'd collect the payments every month. 100% of the payment I collected, I gave to him. That's not a good business model. In seems, case seems like a lot of work for <laughs> not a lot of money. I'm not a genius, but it just seems No, way. it facilitated more uh, auction buying. And um, it, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because... Um, as I started to make more money, I started funding those loans. And that's when I realized the bank always wins. You know, when you hold a flip too long or you blow your underwrite and you, you get your ass kicked on the deal, you know who didn't lose? The bank. The bank who lent you the money. So that's why we like banking. Um, so you just became the bank. We just became the bank. That's crazy, dude. And um, and this is like after it melts, so like 10, 11, 12, Exactly. 13, we started that. lending in 09. Um and, you know, the funny thing, there's laws about lending. Um, in Arizona, the Department of Financial Institutions regulates that activity. So they sent us a letter that said, hey, looks like you're a bank. We don't know who you are. You know, we should chat about this kind of thing. It was like a cease and desist. Yeah. So we're like, oh, yeah, we, we need to learn how this works. And lo and behold, we start a mortgage bank, which, you know, has become a, a pretty good sized hard money lending platform. And that's where... You know, I keep a bunch of money today and we take money from other people who want to get a, a pretty basic, safe, consistent return that's better than the stock market. They're going to make 8 to 12% a year on money that they park in these loans. And so the minimum, well, we'll go down the list of some of this. Yeah. So the minimum you guys take for someone's like, hey, listening, like, hey, this guy doesn't sound too crazy. I want to give him some money. Yep. What's the what's the minimum, and then what are some of the bigger dudes you So uh, 50 grand is the minimum. Um and that goes into a pool, and then that pool is is backed up or secured by these real estate loans. And we're lending money to fix and flip guys, or you know anybody who needs money against real estate. And and why I still love lending to this day is it's one of the only businesses where um, there's two parties. We make an agreement, and that agreement is whoever borrows the money is going to pay us, let's say, twelve percent a year, right? And they're buying a I'll use a half million dollar house as an example. They're going to buy that house for 500. They want us to lend them 300. So when I lend them that money, everybody's worried. Well, what if they're not? What if they don't pay? What if they quit paying? Well, that's the beauty of of lending. If they don't pay, we foreclose and we own the house. So if that house is worth 500 a day, and I lent 300 on it, and the guy quits paying, well, I just bought a 500 thousand dollar house for 300, it's which not, I like. It's you not, know? not a bad deal. <laughs> it's a great deal. Yeah. And that interest rate that was 12 percent, if they quit paying, it triples goes to 36%. Now the loan is in default. So it gets it gets slippery 
you know. 36% is a lot. Yeah. The, yeah, ju- the but, juice is running a lot there. But think about that. So we agree to this deal where I can park my money and make 12%. Historically, the stock market's about 7 So I'm nearly double the stock market if everything goes as we agree. If it doesn't go as we agree, I'm going to end up owning a house for 300 that's worth 500 If I resell that house for 500 I'm up 200 grand, 200 on my 300 65% return. So these numbers get really big. So I love lending because it's kind of my hedge. 10 or 12% relative to the returns I make in, I'll say, more complicated real estate deals is is not great. It's my lowest return bucket. But it's also brain damage free. There's nothing to think about. We make the loan. We get the money out. It's paying. Day in, day out, the interest clock is ticking. We're making money while we sleep. And if they mess up, we do better. And we've done hundreds of millions of loans. We've taken back, you know, probably... Yeah, what's the percentage of stuff that you give out? Like, how many people actually did see it through? A majority? Oh, yeah. 99% of our deals repay as agreed. Inevitably, there's somebody every year who screws up and pays a bunch of default interest. But because our market's been going up, it's, it's rare. We had some foreclosures in 12, 13, 14. But um, 14 was the last foreclosure we had until until one last year in 20. So we had a six-year streak where we didn't take a property back. No shit. So we're originating a lot of loans that end up paying as agreed. Um, I'll tell you the details of the one we took back last year. I made a loan in 18 for 105000 on a house on the west side of Phoenix. $100,000? $105,000 on a house that was about one hundred and thirty at the time. Seems like a nice place. <laughs> It Sorry. had been stripped. It was kind of like what you're talking about in 08, right? Like no cabinets. It, it had been gutted. And I lent the money to a, to a contractor who was going to fix and flip the house. He ended up keeping it as a rental. Um, he paid, I think I did like 14% annual interest on that one. He paid well for two years. And um, he, couldn't, he couldn't make it happen. A number of circumstances I won't get into right now, but he, he lost it in the foreclosure auction in late summer last year. So we blew our six-year streak of no foreclosures. I sold it the same day for 157000 no So shit. my 105 investment paid me 14% a year for two years, and then I made a 50% lift, you know, in the day I got it back. So how do you, how do you get crushed doing this if the homes were to go to shit? So, like in, in the theory, right? Like, yeah. If, if all of a sudden, like, my house is worth eight hundred thousand, now it's worth eighty. Yeah. But, like I owe you, and you would get this now shit property, like it, like so, it happened years ago. So you know how I I love to leverage things, right, and get my leverage returns. Lending is inherently not leveraged, right? I, if I make that three hundred k loan on our five hundred k example house, there's no leverage involved. The worst case that happens is this is the crushed for a lender is another 08 happens. It's no longer worth 500. Now it's worth 250. But you still own the property. Well, they're going to quit paying. They're going to give it back, right? Yeah. But I still own that property. So if I can if I can hold it, which I can because there's no leverage applied, in theory over time... You'll get the money it, back. It goes up. Or I rent it, right? You know, I mean, you don't have to realize the loss. If the stock market cuts in half tomorrow... You didn't lose anything. No, I don't give a shit. Your value's down, right? But if you don't sell, you didn't realize the loss, so who cares? Well, like, what did the market go to in March 17 or something? The Dow? Yeah, I think 
mid twenties. It's pretty low, and now it's almost thirty two. Right. So I'm like, it's like it's like COVID never happened. Yep. Which that's like a Ponzi scheme. I don't understand the. Well, I have my opinion on that. I mean, we're just printing money, pumping trillions of of dollars into the economy. No, we're not, are we? No. That's been rumored. I'm not sure it's happening, but I I can tell you. I don't understand it either. When you start saying trillions and shit, you lose me because that's like beyond my capacity to even understand. But it's it's crazy. It's like, but it's like the market never happened though. Like if you didn't have any money invested, like you kind of just got screwed. But if you just have had it sitting there, like I have for probably 15 years, it's, I have the most money I've ever had in my retirement accounts ever. And we've had the, we had the shittiest year that's like ever happened other than probably 07, 08 in my lifetime. That's inflation. It's gnarly, dude. The, um, when we give money to the lower economic class, when we mail check to every citizen in the country, what do they do? They pay for rent or they spend money, which is owned by landlords and business owners. So we're handing money to the poor in a sense, right? Or, or the masses, which immediately gets turned around and sent back to the guys who own everything. So yeah. that's why things are continuing to appreciate. You it's, know? it's like the markets here in like Scottsdale, Phoenix. Oh gosh, this is, we can thank California for our run uh, up in real estate values right now. I was there last night, you know, giving a presentation and, and they kept asking, well, why is Arizona running so much? It's, it's the, you people in California because you're all moving here. And when they come here, they're like, man, it's so cheap. You live by the beach. You got, you know, a 6,000 foot lot, 3,000 foot house. It's six, seven, eight million dollars. Come to Paradise Valley. Six, seven, eight million dollars. You're on like an acre or two, ten thousand foot palace. It's it's yeah. not the same. No, it's uh, the game has definitely changed here, definitely. What um, what's the end game for that though? So if you had if you had a guess, like does it well, just does it just keep going? Does this become? I always say too because I can think about it. There's certain places where like the market just doesn't move like negatively, like a lot of others, right? Like if you're in Malibu, does the market drop in Malibu? Like ever, or are people always just want to pay stupid prices. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there does Scottsdale just all of a sudden like, oh, my house is worth three hundred thousand less, or is, or is that gone? So, in our last crisis, Paradise Valley being our kind of nicest area of real estate in the in the metro area, yeah, was the the last to go down, and it went down the least from a percentage standpoint. Right where you were getting killed was. You have the the cheaper houses like the Maryvale Central Phoenix stuff. You have those houses selling for two fifty three hundred grand in early oh eight, and then I I bought them up for the institutions by the hundreds at fifteen grand twenty grand. You know you're talking ninety percent loss of value because it was all bullshit. When if you're paying cash, I remember like a dude came to my old condo complex and he was buying like either studio units or like one bedroom units for like fifteen or thirty thousand dollars, where right. people were buying them for two hundred before that. Yep. Which and you insane. know where they're at today? 200. Yeah. That's <laughs> fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. So w- when we were buying houses at the auction, and especially in these lower income areas, um, there's a big movement that, of institutional capital. There's a new asset class. Like for the Wall Street guys that play with big real estate, you've got your main things, office, apartments, industrial, those kind of buckets of real estate. A new asset class was created and that's been this buying up an assemblage of single family homes for rent. And that originated by a company here of guys that I, you know, still know well and work with. And we partnered over the years, but 
they got Blackstone to come in and back them. And the company expanded across the country and it became known as Invitation Homes. It went public and they're the largest owner of single family homes in the US. And that concept was we're buying shitty houses, cheap. We're gonna renovate them, put renters in and wait. Because when you could buy a 2,000 foot house in Central Phoenix for 20 grand, you're paying $10 a foot. That's fucking crazy. You can't replace dude. that house for under 100 bucks a foot, no. right? So there's no way to lose in the long run. And, and the guys that I know that helped build funds for this stuff, you're buying houses, let's say your average cost on a house is $50,000, and they rent for 1000 bucks. You're getting you know, 25% return of, of your principal on an annual basis. That's massive. And that's because everybody was scared, right? Oh, look, 08 happened. We got crushed. Real estate's worth nothing. And that hurt a lot of people. But the smart money, the institutional money went, this is a buying opportunity. You know, and, and we operate on a principle. When it's cheaper to buy than to build, we buy. When it's cheaper to build than it is to buy, we build, right? It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. The markets can continue to go up and down in cycles. And if you stick to that principle of we buy things when we can buy them for less than it costs to build them, we do. We're always on the right side of the market in that sense. Well, we've never seen, at least in my lifetime, like I don't remember real estate like going down. Like at scale like that. Yeah. Like it tends to just appreciate whatever it is, if it's 3% or 8% yep. or depending on how crazy the market is or where you live. But it's never just the ass fell out of it. Right. I well, never, 08 was a historic event. I mean. Because we were doing dumb shit. Because we had stupid kids out of college helping facilitate mortgages to guys <laughs> that work at grocery stores. <laughs> And now they now they can't do that kind of stuff anymore. Well, so that's what's different. You know, the 08 thing that was fueled by this. There's there's a few movies about it. The Big Short is kind of it's great. A, you know, the concept there that's great. That's a nice behind the scenes. It's it's still high level finance stuff. But if you geek out on this stuff, it's cool how that worked to see in hindsight. Right, hindsight's twenty hindsight is twenty twenty. But the difference between 07, 08 and today is. Back then, people would buy properties because they didn't have to put any money into it. You'd get an 80% first mortgage, and you'd get a second mortgage for the other 20%. You had no skin in the game. Well, what could ever go wrong when you let anybody with a, a pulse borrow 100% of the money to buy real estate? And that wasn't just homes. That was also possible on a commercial scale. The, this building we're sitting in, you had guys buying $20 million buildings like this that weren't putting money up. Maybe they had to put 5% up. And you could just make up like how much money you made, though. Yeah, why not? Would you even check? Because why would the bankers care? They make money by funding the loan, not by turning loans down, right? Like that's what was broken in the system. So today, when we buy a twenty million dollar building at our company, we're putting like six million at a minimum down. We're we're seventy percent LTV today, and a lot of the mortgage market is similar. There's there's money that's being forced to. There's no more hundred percent financing, right? So when people have money, which a lot of people do, especially the 1% today, and they've got to put money down, they've got skin in the game. Now, if the market depreciates 10 or 15% and they put 30% down, it's still worth more than, than they put on the table. So people aren't so as they can, likely to walk away. Yeah, they can still dump it and they'd be positive as opposed to just owing everything. Right. Or like you can still, but you can still get like a normal home mortgage for 
what, 3% down, like a first-time home buyer? Does that still exist? Um, yeah, there's some government programs. I want to say the FHA stuff is 3%. Um, and then they'll, they pay like a like a PMI or something because like they, in yeah. case they lose their ass, yep. the bank doesn't get crushed or whatever. That is one of the, I mean, leverage is good. And if that's the price point, that only works up to a certain price. I want to say maybe three or 400,000. Yeah. I don't know all the laws of that these days, but if you can buy a house with 3% down, when we talk about leverage, let's just say we're going to go buy a $300,000 house with three grand down, and we could probably get the seller to contribute some of that in those programs, right? It's so like let's, t- It's like 10 grand. But let's say you, you have to put 10 grand down. I own 300000 in real estate for $10,000, and I can cover the mortgage payment. Let's say we live there, right? I'm yep. fine with stomaching that. I don't know what a mortgage payment would be on, on $300,000. let us say it's 1500 bucks. Give or take, yeah. So... We own this $300,000 piece of real estate for nine grand out of pocket. And in Phoenix, our market went up 13% last year. Insane. So 13% on our 300,000 is 39,000. So if I put up $10,000 a year ago and bought that house, today it's worth 339,000. I'm up my 10,000 bucks plus, or my nine, I'm up my 39. I made 30 grand on nine in a year. Crush it. Anybody who, who, can afford to play that game should do it. I mean, that works. You'd be a fool to expect we're going to get 13% a year appreciation. But the things you were talking about, like COVID, the worst year we've had. It's like it didn't happen here. Well, and that's that's population. That's population. I mean, all real estate stuff at the end of the day comes down to supply and demand. demand. The most basic macroeconomic principle. We've got 300 households a day moving to Phoenix. Our construction of both single-family homes and apartments equates to about 20 households a day of construction capacity, and we got 300 families a day moving. So they're coming in at a 15-to-1 ratio. Doesn't add up. Well, it, it adds up great. It adds up to prices are going to rise. And then we've also got a, uh, an environment where interest rates are damn near free. I know. You're getting mortgages in the 2% range. Which is crazy, too. So if you can borrow money at 2 or 3%, and it's appreciating at double digits, and then it's leveraged because you're using these 3% down program. I mean, that makes money with, with 20% down. Same example. Let's put 60 grand down on that $300,000 house. It still went up 39 grand. That's like a 60% return in a year. Well, with a, with a you know, personal residence, I always look at it like, if you can make the payment, if the world went black, can you come up with 1500 bucks? The answer is probably yes. So like, A, you're going to make money on your property because it's going to appreciate over time. But two, it's rent control too for these people. Because what, what can you rent here for like a, a price that's... Well, you can't rent a $300,000 house for $1,500. It, it, so that's another thing that we look at. So we're big apartment investors. And one of the factors as we underwrite and analyze markets around the country is going to be what is the affordability ratio between mortgage cost of, and home ownership, like the average median home in that market, versus what a comparable rental property would be. And we, we convert that to an affordability index. So there are certain parts of the country where it, it's cheaper to rent than to own. Like along the coast, you can rent a really nice three, four million dollar house out in Orange County for six grand a month. You couldn't own that with less than a $10,000 mortgage payment with a million dollars down, right? So the economics of it just 
don't work, you might as well rent. And the taxes and everything, it's brutal. And I'll say something ultra controversial. As I just said, if you can afford to play with these low percent down things to buy a house, there's a time and a place for that guy. But I think owning a home is a shitty investment relative to, you know, targeted strategic real estate investments. Because at the price point above these three, $400,000 houses, I can't buy a, a home to live in with less than 25% down. Let's say I'm looking for a $4 million house. I got to put a million dollars down. You know, the opportunity cost on that gets way out of whack. Yeah. I could, I'd rather rent a house for 15,000 than put a million down and have a $20,000 a month mortgage payment. Well, when you think of it, people say, you know, again, obviously your home goes up in value, but you're living in it. It's not like it's sending you a check every month. Well, <laughs> it's not making you, is it making you money if you just live there? No. It, well, depends, right? I mean, from the appreciation standpoint, generally over the last 10 years, yeah, yeah. it is. But people always ask me like, oh, I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to try and, you know, fix it, fix and flip it, but I'm going to live there. And I always tell people, look, you need a home. That's an okay place to not, you know, sharpen your pencil to the maximum on its merits as an investment because you got to live somewhere. Yes. Right. But either buy a house because you want to live there for your family or buy an investment. But merging the two is going to be shitty at both. You know, you're going to be telling the wife, oh, we got to buy this one or that one. You're, you're buying the wrong house because you're trying to get a deal instead of just taking care of your family. And people think it's like flipping homes and that whole side of things is much easier than it probably is <laughs> in reality. It's not what you see on TV. Uh, I mean, hey, Tark and I talk about uh, talk about TV and flipping homes on TV all the time. And you know, there's a phrase: "Don't believe everything you see on TV for a reason." Because it's not reality. Yeah. I mean, I'm, there's shreds of it, I'm sure. Sure, but you know what you see. I love those shows. I, I don't I don't watch them frequently, but it'll be like, "Hey, we paid two hundred for the house. We put." 30 in repairs and we sold it for 400. We just made 170,000 and it ignores, well, they probably borrowed money. It ignores there's realtors, there's commissions, there's taxes. Like, you know, it ignores so much. So they kind of glorify the process. Flipping houses is a great way to make chunks of money, but it's not easy. And, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. So if someone is like listening and they're thinking about doing it or they want to get into it or their buddy told them, hey, man, this is an awesome idea. Give me half the money. I'll put in half the money. Let's do this. And I've lived through enough stuff here. Like when we've done like that's why I joke about the trade stuff, because it's like if the dudes show up and if they show up and do the stuff right or wrong. And it's like it's a huge pain in the ass. I personally and again, obviously living in Scottsdale, working with all the people we do here, I've heard enough renovation nightmare stories from people oh, yeah. that I wouldn't want to. And we have people here who have lived through it, like lived in their house where they redo their whole house. And nothing sounds more miserable to me than that. You know what they call, there's a phrase for that. It's called divorce dust. It's not construction <laughs> dust, it's divorce dust. Because um, nothing causes more strife in a household than trying to live there. I, I've tried to do that too. You know, I have a buddy, a really successful guy, he's an importer several million a year income, lives in Arcadia, gorgeous house, not really much of a budget, right? He bought this house, he's gutting it, doing an addition, you know, awesome house. He could have rented anything he wanted and been really comfortable. You know what he did? He put a cot in the garage and turned this laundry room into his kitchen by putting a microwave and a fridge in there. And he's living there 
while he's doing, you know, and he's lived there for like six or seven months. Periodically, he'll call and bitch and complain about it. And it's like, why? You and know, the house has got to be worth what? A couple million bucks? He paid about two and a half and he's putting about one and a half into it. And living in the garage. And he's living in, in, a, in a garage in a See, laundry I'm not, room. See, I'm not willing to do that, man. That just seems terrible. Like, yeah, but those are those like weird money quirks, you know? Like that's the way he's grown up. I don't need to spend fifteen grand on a rental. I can live here. This works fine. And I mean, technically it does, but to anybody else, they're like, wait, how much does that guy make? You know, he makes a couple million dollars a year, but he doesn't feel like wasting money on rent. That's a financial principle that's ingrained in him. I can talk to him about that till he's till I'm blue in the face. It's not gonna change him. No. He's gonna do it. That's gnarly, man. So if we go back to some of this, just for people who are listening, what um, when you guys do, you know, you're a hard money lender, in essence, yep. if that's the the terminology you use. Yep. What does that even mean to someone listening? Like, what's different from you from like the normal bank like I would go to? Normal on the bank, yeah. yeah. So, um, well, we talked about time. If you want to get a mortgage done, we're going to be thirty to forty-five days, right? If you buy at the auction today and you got to pay tomorrow they're not an option. There's no way for them to do it. So if you can't pay cash and you need to borrow money, you use guys like us. Um, if you do this for a living and you've got eight flips going, you're not going to get, you know, Wells Fargo to give you eight different mortgages. Um, you probably don't want to deal with the hassle of all the paperwork and headache of what goes in there. There's a hundred reasons to use us. There's also a lot of people who end up using us that probably shouldn't you know and why is that well they just want it faster so they'll come to you even though they it's a better option somewhere else yeah i mean we don't have any credit component we don't care if you're bankrupt we don't care if you don't have a job we make our <laughs> lending decision on the asset i'm a collateral lender so if you are buying a house for 500 and you can put 200 down I'll give you 300. I'll give you 400. Because you're going to stay net positive no matter what. Yeah, I don't care. I look at the asset. I don't look at the person. So we, we make it easy. Uh, we have a phrase, when other banks say no, we say yes. Um, that is self-serving, right? Because I'm making a buying decision when I make a loan. But there's, a, there, there's very smart, sophisticated guys, myself included. I bought 14 houses two weeks ago for about $4 million. I put one and a half down and borrowed two and a half via our hard money lending platform because it pencils and that's what some people don't understand it's expensive money but For it's sure. really easy i didn't have to do anything you know hey here's the deal here's four million houses i'm buying they're worth four and a half i'll put one five down we're going to borrow two and a half million i'm paying like 10 percent interest uh and that pencils and if the deal doesn't pencil to for me to pay the hard money lending on it i shouldn't be doing the deal for sure. And I shouldn't go get a guy to lend me half the money to split half the upside. A partner is more expensive than a hard money lender. So we've kind of got a sweet spot for the right guys in there. And it's not like you want the people to fail, but it really doesn't matter. You know. If they do. It, <laughs> at the end of the day. Like if it's just business. I mean, like we can be like relationship based and we can say all the bread bullshit. But at the end of the day, like if Rick can't make the payments, you just get Rick's house. Yeah. And I mean. You'll, you'll make now, the money either way. You want him to do well. To be fair. I would rather have everybody pay than not. For and, sure. and since we've taken one home back since 2014, generally that's where we go to. And there's there's times where we'll compromise, you know, borrowing money from a hard money lender. It's not a, it's a friendly process cuz it's easy, but it's not friendly from a paperwork standpoint. You're signing a document that says this guy owns my house 
you know, unless I pay him these terms as we agree. So there's a, there's a time and a place for it. I like being the bank. I'm also a borrower. Um, but that's just one of the things we do. You know, we, we build apartment communities. We buy industrial property. We're real estate investors that got into banking and we, I love banking, but I'm a real estate investor at heart who understands banking. And if you're going to be a real estate investor, you need to understand money and finance and banking. Cause that's one of the most critical components of these deals is how you navigate the money. Can't be in the money business and not know how to borrow money and use money and leverage effectively. It makes common sense. It's common sense. I mean, you think? <laughs> well, common sense isn't common, though. No, no, these days, no. Well, so so somebody who the guys who do flip houses, like if that's kind of their jam, they tend to come to somebody like you versus the bigger dudes, the commercial um, banks. Or- yeah, because we are we are the main market to serve real estate fix and flip type investors. Because it's, fa- um, fa- it's faster, it's fast, it's easy, and there's enough money in it that you can pay the interest. So we're just serving a, a spot in the market that there's demand for. Um, and, and it's not, I, you know, I'm, I'm being very candid for you and your audience here. It's not a, a scary thing. You know, there's bad words for lenders like us. They say loan to own is one one of the nicknames for our business. But is that not, honestly, though, like when you think about it, like, yes, Okay, so if I come to you and say, hey, Chris, I need $400,000 to buy this, you essentially own my property. I don't own it. Right. But I'm giving you a chance to buy it back by paying the terms, you know, that we agree to. But like when Cindy goes to Bank of America, she doesn't own her house either. It's the same thing. Bank of America owns it. I think when people say, like, I own my home, like, well, do you really own it? Or does somebody else hold the note until you pay what you owe on it? Right. You really know there's no difference. There isn't. The difference between borrowing from me or borrowing from Bank of America is is not different at all. We both have a deed of trust. We have a lien recorded against the property. Yep. So if you want to sell your property, that's fine. But I or Bank of America are signing off first saying, give me my piece. And then you get the access. Right. Common sense. Easy. But, it, it, you know, on the leverage topic, if you if you had 500 grand sitting in your checking account and you want to live in a $500,000 house... A lot of people would say, great, write a check for the house and own it. Where I'm different is I'd say, well, wait a second. I can borrow the money for 2 or 3% from a normal bank. I'll put 100 grand down. I'll borrow the other 400, and I'll put that 400 into my hard money lending bank at 10%. And now I'm arbitraging Bank of America's money at 2 or 3% and lending my money out, making 10 or 12% and keeping the spread. Well, yeah, there comes a point where – the numbers are just too high where it just doesn't work anymore, right? Like, so if you're like, hey, I want to own my house for $2 million, to actually pay $2 million of actualized cash, like after tax earnings, is you have to die for that. <laughs> you do. Like, it's, you know, I don't think people know how hard that is. Like, I'm not saying, like, oh, you made $2 million last year. No, now I'm saying by the time you get taxed and take it home, like, you have nowhere near $2 million bucks. But to try to buy a $2 million house, like, in paper cash, you have to have so much fucking money, yeah. like, a ridiculous level. Now, if you're trying to pay something off that's ten grand, like it doesn't really matter. Right, but the, it out. But the bigger the stuff is, well, it's it real hard to do. And you know, if you make fifty grand a year, you're paying five to ten thousand dollars of that in taxes. Yeah. Right. If you're making two million dollars a year, you're paying a million dollars in taxes. It's crazy. Right. I mean, that that's the other benefit of the real estate investment side. So we also develop real estate, and we like to buy apartment buildings and 
do basically a fix and flip like on a house, but on buildings. That's one of our main core strategies. That's the fund that Tark and I put together. So when you guys buy an apartment building, you're not going to keep it, or you are? We are, yeah. I mean, you can you can renovate them, improve them, raise the rents, and then resell them. That's what I did a lot of in Phoenix from, you know, I've done about 3,000 units where I bought, improved, and resold. And in 18, we kind of switched our model up. Now we're building a portfolio. We're buying, improving refinancing and keeping we just want to own you know everything because the game plan because what's the long-term picture is like well if we hold the properties for 10 15 years they'll be worth x and then we can figure it out from there yeah and then the tenants are paying us rent which we use to pay down the mortgage payment you know i'll give you an example we bought uh because what is the like an apartment building what is the mortgage payment on an apartment building it can't be little yeah, it is. I'll, like, tell, I'll like give you a great you. example. So uh, I've got an 86-unit building in Phoenix that I bought in 16 um, for about $8 million. I put about $2 million into renovating it and, like, you know, totally gutting this thing, making it really nice. So you pay on six? Um, I raised some equity, and th- I'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, I used I used hard money. To buy it, you know, massive payments. Um, and actually, just this past September, I refinanced it with Fannie Mae, who's behind most of the mortgages out there. Yep. I borrowed $10 million and 49000 They wouldn't give me $10 million 50. The building supported $10 million and 49000 uh, That last thousand really would have messed with them. I get that. <laughs> I asked them for it. I just like round numbers, you know, but they were like, that's, that's the number you get. Okay, no worries. I borrowed it on a 12-year term. So, uh, and the first five years are interest only. The interest rate is 3.13%. So mar- my mortgage payment on this this $10 million loan is $27,000 a month. That's it? Twenty-seven, And uh, it appraised at, I want to say like $16.5 Okay. So we're up about $6 million after our costs on the property itself. And that was last year when we got the loan. It's probably a little higher now. Um, it produces about a hundred thousand dollars a month in rent on those eighty-six units, and it costs us probably close to thirty thousand to operate. So our monthly profit in between there is we've got a hundred in revenue, we've got thirty in expenses, we've got twenty-seven on our mortgage. Forty G's. It leaves about forty, forty-three a month of profit. But when we did that refi last September at ten million, we pulled the money that we bought the building without so we don't have any money in the building anymore we still own the building and it produces 40 40,000 or so a month of profit and that's if and that's if it's full yeah right which yep. here apparently now everything is full because everyone's moving here every day it's like 94 95 percent occupied what happens if like did the covid stuff jack you guys up where people just stopped paying for like six months a year? Or did that not yeah. happen for you? No, it, it, it did. So I own some retail real estate, you know, like Starbucks type properties. Yeah. I own industrial properties. Um, our retail, we were pretty lucky. Uh, everybody paid. Our industrial stuff, everybody paid. Our apartments, uh, we, we own not just in Arizona. We have a bunch of stuff all over the place. In Arizona, we were probably the hardest hit with COVID stuff. But like that property, for example, I want to say 10 or 12 of those units, I I don't know the exact number, have filed these CDC forms to say, hey, I've been impacted by COVID. And they just don't, they're not required to pay. They haven't been paying. You know, most of those guys are not paying. I want to say, you know, 
we're we're losing ten or fifteen thousand a month worth of revenue that we would be collecting if it wasn't COVID, which but it hurts. But still not negative. Yeah, we're still profitable across our whole portfolio. Like our Texas stuff, we didn't have a COVID impact. Like, period. Well, Texas. Everybody pay. Texas doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like Florida. We're we're third in line probably, but <laughs> Texas is COVID free. You know. Uh, yeah. So I mean, they all paid. I own a bunch of houses, rental houses out there. I mean, we just didn't have a COVID impact. So we are good on that stuff, partially because we don't over leverage, you know. I like leverage, but I don't maximize leverage because what if a global pandemic shows up and, you know, 20% of my tenants quit paying? Yeah, it it hurt my profitability, but it it didn't make it so I can't make my mortgage payments. But if you're leveraged even more, and that does happen, if the margins are thinner, right? So if that property doesn't produce 40, if it produces 14, and now you're out the 15, so now we're losing. Yep. That makes yeah. sense because I've heard people here talk like there's a couple here that like, they love to go to Cheesecake Factory. It's like been their thing forever. It's so strange. Yep. It's like where they met. And they're like, <laughs> of all the places, like a dude drives a Ferrari here. He's like, we're going to Cheesecake Factory. I'm like, that doesn't fit, dude, but whatever. So he's he came here and he's like, yeah, the one at Kirland, which is a nice area here in Scottsdale. They were like, yeah, they're just not going to pay the rent. And because they, they, yeah. they basically went the premise of, well, fuck it. This is like a 5,000 square foot building in Kierland, which I'm sure is coded as like retail. Yep. And it has to be, I don't know what it is a foot, but it has to be Big. insanely expensive. And like, who else is going to go in there? Like, I can't take that space over. Yeah. So I said our retail stuff, we were lucky. Um, we don't have a lot of retail, but what we do is like coffee shops and quick serve restaurants and things like that. that Small places. That were they didn't get crushed like that cheesecake factory did do that they quit paying rent a bunch of those national tenants did um and so what what is so if that's like you and that happens you just like you just eat it i mean you don't have a choice i'm glad cheesecake factory wasn't my tenant because if i own that center and my my tenant says hey guess what i'm not paying what am i gonna do okay i'm gonna lock you out okay now you got an empty building you want to know how long it's gonna take to lease a cheesecake factory? I mean, I don't want to own that. Forever, dude. <laughs> Forever. Like, so there's guys that got crushed by that. Um, and, and there's nothing you can really do as a landlord. And that's the funny thing. All this aid stuff, I'm lucky. But I know guys who own retail centers, like strip centers like that. Like the, big, big spaces. Big spaces. Um, well, the guy who developed Kierland, he owns another property down on 7th. Nice little corridor, you know, retail center that's popular. Yeah. Everybody said, fuck you. I'm not paying. And he's still going to make the payment, you know. Landlords get pinched in this situation. There's, You know what you haven't seen in the news anywhere? The Landlord Relief Act. Because nobody cares about the guy who owns everything. That guy, screw that guy, he can afford it, you know, is the mentality. But that guy's getting hurt a lot of places. Well, I think that, too, with people like – and, again, obviously, there's, there's outliers. There's dudes who have, like – so much money that it, it probably doesn't matter, but those are so few and far between. All these dudes owe somebody. That's a, the, yeah. tri- the trickle down. Just is, playing with bigger numbers. Yeah, it's the same same thing. If you're buying a two hundred thousand dollar house to rent, you got a mortgage on it, and you got one tenant paying you, you know, two grand a month to live there or whatever. Well, when we buy a two hundred unit building, it's the same thing. We just add a zero or two, right? But now instead of two hundred or one guy paying rent that I hope he can still pay, I have two hundred people. So if 10% of them quit paying, the other 180, they eat into my profit margin, but I can still pay the bills. But if you have a huge commercial space that's 30000 bucks a month and they're like, hey, I'm not going to pay it for five months, you still owe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and you know those those tenants still owe. Cheesecake Factory owes the landlord there, right? But if that guy depends who he borrowed the money from, if he's got a CMBS loan, which is what back to the Big Short that movie, they bundle up these mortgages and sell them. CMBS is commercial mortgage backed security, so they bundle up these packages of loans, especially on commercial stuff, and then they sell it on a bond market. Back to those guys with $400 billion. Yep. Well, if you want to deploy that money, you're buying bond pools of mortgages. Well, when they split the loan, let's say you own the Cheesecake Factory and you've got a CMBS lender because those are, let's say they're $10 million buildings. Maybe you borrowed $7 million with a CMBS loan. That $7 million got bought up by 100 different investors. Well, there's nobody to go negotiate with on, hey, Cheesecake Factory quit paying. I know I owe you guys, you know, 20 grand a month, but I can't collect the rent right now. So can you guys hold off? They're like, uh-uh, that's our property. And that same thing as the hard money lender, right? Yeah. You borrow money from a lender and you quit paying, he's going to take your shit. That's how it works. That's just crazy, dude. And I don't mean to bag on Cheesecake Factory. All the places like that, but the same kind of thing. Like yeah. It's just, it's insane that nobody does talk about that. Because I guess they assume the guy, the landlord's cool. Like, he's got so much money, he's balling, like, but he owes someone. That's what everybody thinks. I mean, luckily, I don't look like your old stodgy real estate landlord, so I can go walk around the property sometimes to check on things, and people, you know, will be like, hey, are you the owner? Ah, I, you know, I'm working on this thing, you know. And I'm just some dude who's here, yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, but that is the assumption, because then they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, this property's run really good, but my toilet doesn't work, and I'm going to quit paying rent. Like, what? You know, like, America's got this cultural issue right now of entitlement and just weakness well the crazy thing is like everybody kind of owes somebody and that's the underlying thing that i guess we don't look at in terms of this stuff but if i go this route here um i don't want to take up your entire day but if you had like uh the worst like a worst business deal you've ever done or like a, the worst property you ever bought or yeah so i've taken some some losses um, and I learn, you learn a lot more when you lose than when you win. Cause it forces that reflection. Right. And it's and not, not fun in the moment, but no, yeah, it's not fun. But if, if you think money is just a way to keep score and you're not too attached to it, it's fine. But I think the worst deal I did, and I don't do this anymore. I learned a pretty hard lesson that building actually was the one we were talking about that we paid, uh, we're, we were in about eight and then, you know, 2 million improvements, that apartment building here. I bought that building in 16 because the guy was looking for a loan on it. Um, and he came to us and we helped facilitate the loan. Well, his his equity or the money behind him kind of left him standing at the closing table and they didn't show up to finish the deal. So I said, hey, I'll, I'll put up the money to help you buy this building. I'm already putting up the money as a lender. I'll help you buy this building. You run it. You be the manager and I'll, I'll be the equity lender. And uh, that guy cheated me, and he just did a, a horrible job. And it was about a year and a half into it that we just kind of had to part ways. And I stepped in and took over and, and ran the building. And, you know, we could have sued him, um, and we could have fought in court. But why I didn't do that is there was another lender involved. And the, that lender isn't trying to hear that me and the partner are arguing, so the mortgage payment's not getting paid. So I paid that guy to walk away. I paid him quite a bit of money to just leave so I could go run the project. And um, 
it worked out. You know, I mean, now it's it works out real well every month. But that's probably the only partnership that really blew up in my face. And you know, and then the other, it's it's detrimental reliance. That's what our attorney likes to use that phrase. I relied on that guy's ability to do something, and he just screwed me. You know, and there's no way around that. But you can't cry about it. You got to learn from it and move on, and you know, do better due diligence next time so that that doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, like the fifty-fifty partnerships with anything, I think, are difficult for sure. Because one person's always going to do more, or thinks they deserve more, or gets more shine, or gets more whatever it is. Yep, that's kind of true of life in general. I guess best uh, best investing real estate advice you've ever been given, whether it's just investing in general or real estate connected to it. You know, two things stick out to me that I really, I, I hold on to that I heard early in my career. One of them's practical for anybody who's thinking about getting into real estate um, is I was told to don't ever pick up a hammer. Anytime you do what you can pay somebody to do, you just traded your time for what you could pay somebody else to do it. Who's right? probably way better than you. One, they're going to be better yes. because I'm not, I'm not the guy to fix houses. I'll tell you that. But two, you know, and it's tempting when you're just getting started and maybe, maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you're just trying to get, you know, you want to become a real estate investor because you've seen guys get rich doing it. You'll be tempted. Hey, I can actually do the work. A lot of guys start down that path, but you can't scale and do enough because you're trading your time for what you could hire somebody for 15, 20 bucks an hour to do. And I'm not here to make 20 bucks an hour. No. So me knowing how to fix this or that is irrelevant. And if my business model relies on me doing the work, that's not a business model. No. You know, there's a, a lot of guys it's, who. It's do, a shitty job. It's a shitty job. Yeah. They do all the work and then they think they made more money because they did the work. Well, put a time value of money on your time. And you didn't make more money, it's, you know? It's it, like at your house. It's like you could probably clean your own pool, but for 100 bucks a month, someone's going to come there four or five times a month and do it for you, and it will be done right. Like I could sit back there and pretend I know what the hell I'm doing and throw some chemicals in there, but it probably isn't safe to swim. Yeah, me and Zach and my company talked about that just yesterday. There's that exact example. I'm sure I could figure out how to do a pool, but for what purpose? 100 bucks a month, and I don't ever have to think about it, yeah. you know? And it's safe to swim when you can go in there. Uh, so if you're looking at this stuff, so if someone's listening, they're like, okay, hey, I maybe want to get into real estate. What's the, if there is a an easy intro or like what's the first steps they would go about doing it? Not say, hey, let me pull out of my 401k and go buy a property and flip it. It's not that. You know what, Jeremy, that's funny. Is I that, cashed that, out my 401k. That's how I got, I got seven grand out of my 401k and my IRA, cashed them both out. And that was seven of the 30, 36 or 37 of that first house I bought back in the day. The rest was cash advanced on a credit card because what could go wrong, you know? It seems like great advice to anybody listening. Everyone <laughs> should do that, right? Everyone should do that Nobody right now. should do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the, the other piece, that piece of real estate advice, don't ever pick up a hammer. That's, that's good if that's what you're trying to do. The other, I'll say, more valuable piece is something that's taken me a long time. When I was able to buy and sell a building which in 12, 13, 14, I could get the brokers to call me when they had a building or a listing coming for sale. I would ask, you know, maybe it's 100 units and they wanted $3 million back then, $30,000 a door. I could send an email to our buyer's list of auction customers and resell that building for 3.2. And the, the commercial broker never even had to do the listing, you know, offer it out to the market because I could just resell it. 
And I had really smart guys that were buying those buildings from me. And I was thinking I was the genius. I'm making 200 grand to flip this contract, basically. And uh, which, which is a, which is a lot of money. And I'm sure back then you're like, this is I'm going to be. A it was all the money in the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the guys that were way smarter than me said, you're doing this wrong. You made that money today, but you're going to pay taxes. You're going to lose 100 of the 200 in taxes. Yep. And you don't own anything. And that that's probably the best piece of advice on real estate I have. Today, I don't like to do anything transactional. I don't care if it's a six-figure check. If I have to go buy something to resell it to make money, I just worked for that to make the money. The way we do things is we buy real estate that we want to own, and then it pays us every month forever. And if you don't have any money, that's not valuable advice. Because when I was broke and had nothing, I had to sell the buildings to make the money to grow my pool of money. But now, I won't do a transactional deal. I only want to own things that, one, I get the appreciation benefit of the long term. Two, I get to all the tax benefit of depreciating. Three, if I do sell, I'm going to do a 1031 exchange, not pay any taxes and buy a bigger building. Like, this is where the real wealth is created, and it's holding long term. So if you have money, you get to start there. If you don't have money... Like, yeah, Rick's listening. He's dead broke. Not dead broke, but he's got... A couple bucks, not a lot. Well, so he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Just tell him, no, this isn't for you. No, (laughs) you know what? Uh, So I'm delusionally optimistic, right? If Rick wants to become a real estate millionaire and go down that path, he can do it. But just like fitness, right? I mean, how many guys show up and they just, Jeremy, give me the magic pill. I probably sent you a text or something at some point. Jeremy, I want to get bigger and stronger and be fit and not have to put in the work. And it's like, Cool story, Chris. It's not happening, right? Yeah, we we can do it for you, but it's going to take a while, and it's way harder than we all think it is. But it's really simple at the end of the day, right? If Eat you, right, train right, and, and wash, don't be lazy. Wash, rinse, repeat. So real Forever. estate's the same way. If Rick wants to become a real estate investor, that's awesome. But don't be delusional. It's a whole lot of work, and it takes time. There isn't get rich quick in real estate. That's bullshit that's a diet pill that people try and sell, just like in the fitness industry. It takes a lot of time. It's taken a lot of time to get to the level of deals and the stuff I'm doing today. If if Rick wants to become a real estate investor, I encourage it. But uh, don't, n- don't know it's leverage, a career. Don't leverage your life. Because if you lose all the money and now you're at zero. Where it, you're especially at. today. It's a very like competitive market of, you know, there's a lot of really savvy real estate guys out there and when you just walk in and you're the fresh guy there you're going to miss something that somebody who's been doing this longer isn't and you know that can that can be deadly that could you could be done before you even start i was almost done the fact that i weathered those early storms and ended up where i got you know that was trial and error i had smart people trying to tell me what to do and sometimes i listened sometimes i didn't but um i would be the first to admit i got into real estate at a great time and have ridden a great market, and I I manage my risk tolerance and, and my leverage and things like that, and I'm way better equipped today to manage, you know, blips in the market, but there's no replacement for experience. You just, you can't shortcut it. No, I'm timing matters, obviously, especially like in our life cycle it has, but two, for every person that's similar to you, there's hundreds of thousands who are screwed, lost yeah. everything, never happened. There's a lot of guys who got into real estate in Phoenix at the same time I did. I know a bunch of them, right? Because it's a pretty small community of the successful investors. And there's guys who've done better than me. There's a lot of guys who've done a lot worse than me. 
um, you know, it's it's like anything. There's guys who win and there's guys who lose. Well, it's crazy too because like, I remember like when we bought this place, like there's like five dudes who own like most of the air park. Yep. And I didn't know that. And then all of a sudden you start to see the signs and you're like, oh, yeah, that dude owns like a million square feet of space here. Like those are the dudes who own like and probably bought it in the 80s or 90s and bought it for pennies in the dollar at this point now they're just it's it's insane and the system is rigged i mean it just is what it is it's cold world out there right once you own a bunch of real estate and it's paying you every month it's it's harder to screw it up because over time you know if if you bought this building for a million bucks 10 years ago it's worth three today well you can well the rich do get richer the way i look at it is like you can you can take risks because you can probably lose five or six times out of ten where if you're just starting out, you can't lose even once. Like you can make some shitty calls, but <laughs> it doesn't matter because if you have, if you if you have that much, like if I lose a thousand bucks today, I don't give a shit. Ten years ago, I'd probably sit here and cry for three hours. Same thing. I um I bought a house at the auction. <laughs> this is 2010. This is great. You know Tempe Town Lake? They've got those towers of the condos. They're like, expensive now. Yeah. So I, I made a simple mistake. I, I bid on one and I asked the realtor what it was worth. And, uh, for some reason I misinterpreted what I could pay for it to be what it was worth. So I won this thing for 390,000 and I paid 10 grand at the auction. I had to come up with the other 380 the next day. And I called him and I'm like, I, I want it, you know? And he's like, great. What'd you pay? And I was like, 390. He's like, what do you mean? I said it was worth like 400. So when you pay three ninety for something that's worth four hundred, I was screwed, and I remember that so vividly because I was in in the car with that first employee, uh, and I, I was just like, "Well, we're out of business, Keith. We this just is, lost ten thousand dollars. You know what? We, this is it. <laughs> we don't have ten thousand dollars now. We pulled a rabbit out of a hat because we sent an email out to our our list of buyers and said, "Hey, we have this condo. It's." gorgeous and you got to show up and pay tomorrow (laughs) and we had a guy out of washington microsoft money that was like i need a condo for when i'm down in arizona i'll pay it so we that saved the company that that one mistake could have put a you know changed our our trajectory in real estate because that it was all the money in the world at that point well that's the thing like if you're just starting out you really you have to do the due diligence and take your time and look at it because otherwise a ten twenty thousand dollar swing can end everything Yes. instantly especially if you took like your own personal money into it which at that point that's all you probably have yeah and to be fair um if if you're broke and you're <laughs> looking at doing real estate yeah, that's friendly friendly way to start right yeah. but if if you don't have anything there is a way to play in real estate that doesn't take a lot of money because you can use lenders. If you can go find the right deal because you want to go knock on doors and find somebody to sell their house for less than it's worth, you can make money starting with nothing in real estate. That That's real. That's not a made-up concept. Well, it just sure. takes a lot of work. For sure. And if you're already broke, you know, just like when I bought that first apartment building for 70 grand, the worst thing I can do here is lose the 70, and then I'm broke again, yep. right? It's not like you can go too far the wrong way. So I feel like if you're broke, take some risks. Try and try and get in the game, and if you make some money, great. Keep going up and get smarter as you go. You know, make your parachute after you jumped out of the plane. That makes sense. If we look <laughs> and borrow the money from me when you're learning. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like it's all of us. Like we call it like the reluctant entrepreneur. Like how you started is not the way you would start. 
like how I started doing this, I would never tell anybody to do it this way. It just happened to work out. But for every, you know, person who's as dumb enough as I am to work this hard, there's a hundred other people who it never happened. And that's a lot of people because you have to basically die over <laughs> and over and over again to, to keep it going and to make it happen, especially in the beginning. A hundred percent, you know, and, and I had done very well financially before I got into real estate uh, and I hadn't managed my money that well. And, you know, after that 08 financial crisis, you know, kind of wiped me out and I ended up going to Dubai. I was starting from scratch. I mean, I had to cash advance a credit card to buy the first house. Um, That's crazy too. You know, but I already knew I, I had been very successful previously and I knew where I needed to live, you know, and what kind of lifestyle I wanted, and things like that. So it wasn't really a question of, I hope I don't screw this up. Right. It was, Hey, there's a lot of money moving in this space. I should be able to make money. Like guys are making millions in real estate. I can do that. And I just believed that, you know, it doesn't mean I didn't make mistakes, but. Well, especially in that time window too, where like everything was just bottoming out and it's like, you can kind of come back up the ladder. Yep. So to my last couple of questions, if you were to look at, when you do look at the commercial stuff here and the residential stuff in yep. Scottsdale, Phoenix, you, you don't have, a, you're not a fortune teller. Nobody knows, but right. what, what's going on here the next like well, couple years? So I, I, I am recently talking about this stuff, right? We've never marketed for our investment stuff, but after we partnered with Tarek, we've been out, you know, doing live events and talking to investors about this stuff. I believe, and we, our investment philosophy is that the sun, sun belt market, which is our Southern parts of the U S is going to continue to have this population shift, which comes back to supply and demand of people moving. Nobody wants to live in Minnesota anymore, especially as they get old. Our bro. baby boomer generation. Bro, bro, <laughs> what do you mean? My dad but, sent me a text like last week. He was like, how's it going? I'm like, it was like 76 years, negative fucking 20 in Minneapolis. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, that's, I don't know how you do it. Right? So those guys, they're, they're older, they're retired. They don't, you know, maybe their health is, is not where they always want it to be. They start moving to the south they want to move to warmer places we'll pick on detroit detroit is not a great place to live my a mom, lot of my the mom year. just moved here from detroit <laughs> okay yeah. see yeah. I'm, I'm hitting home runs here yeah uh people are going to continue to shift to the south arizona and texas you know we passed some some stupid tax laws here which hurt us but uh florida the tennessee or tennessee the carolinas these sunshine states are going to continue to have population shift here which so i think that bodes well for our future um i i can tell you i love california's political climate and all the nonsense that they keep doing there and raising taxes because it's shifting so many people to arizona and i love the industrial real estate market it was completely unaffected in covid in fact it's probably going up we buy what we like to call inelastic demand you know, like one of the properties we bought builds underground pipe. They have 80% of the market in the U.S. They're publicly traded called U.S. Pipe. We bought their facility in October. It's like 60,000 feet of warehouse on 12 acres. I paid half what it would cost to build the property. Here in the valley? Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the underground pipe market, that stuff deteriorates. So they're going to always keep building it until we stop needing water pipes these guys are going to be in business, right? Yeah. Another building we bought last year, these guys make um, dumpsters for like waste management, right-of-way disposal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they manufacture and service dumpsters. 
You think COVID's crushed them? Hey, they're here every day. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, like the average life of a dumpster I learned during our due diligence is about five years. Those things last five years and they replace them. So these guys have a big facility. We, I think we bought six acres. I think they have about 40,000 feet. And they build and service dumpsters. So if I can buy real estate that's occupied by companies like that, and I can buy it for less than it would cost to replace just the structure, that means the land is free. And I have a known income that they give me. These guys are paying me like 7 or 8% annualized return or cap rate is what we call it in commercial real estate. And I can borrow the money at 4%. And these guys will pay me 8%. And I could buy it for less than I could replace it for. Yep. I'm covered like multiple ways. I don't go to bed going, God, I hope the dumpster market doesn't collapse tomorrow. It's not like Bitcoin, you know? No. <laughs> well, Bitcoin is what is going on there? Do you do? You guys do crypto stuff? I don't do. I, I, 100% of what I have is in real estate or lending on real estate. Um, I don't like things that I don't have control or insight over. You don't do any market investing? Mm-mm. Like you, nothing. So Amazon, Apple, nothing. I sold, no I cashed ETFs. out all that shit in 07 to get into real estate. Yeah. In uh, 18, I have a lot of wealthy customers and investors and whatnot, and they're always talking to me about the stock market. I pay attention. So I was like, I'm going to throw five grand in that Robin Hood app. Oh, yeah. And oh, I dude, started GameStop. day trading, yeah. right? I'm day trading. It was about a year. Our plane crashed. I, I, I couldn't play for five grand for a while. So I'm, I'm buying and selling all day long. I'm not working on other stuff because it's, like it's like gambling. What is? I, I don't have the personality to play with. I can trade stock from an iPhone app. It's ridiculous. So Rob, Robinhood is a gambling app, essentially. It is. Except it's real money, which but is fucking Gambling's crazy. illegal. But Robinhood, I can trade stocks all day. I mean, it's crazy. what I learned from trading, because I'm like, oh, I should just play, play with this. You know, I went from having a little money in it to a lot of money in it. And then I'm getting pissed off because even if you could predict the earnings right, they're going to either exceed expectation or underperform, right? Yep. So that's where I, I would gamble is on those earnings calls. And if I would guess right, it's not consistent. Sometimes the stock would go up when they exceeded earnings. Sometimes it would go down because the market is it's such a rigged game. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's really it bad. It makes no sense. So I traded for uh, – I, I don't remember the exact thing because Robinhood has great stats in there. I made 500 and some trades – in a one-year period, from February of 18 to February of 19, I made just over 12% on my money, but I made 500 trades. And I'm like going to the gym, working out at 6 a.m. and like, oh, market's opening, got to check my phone on a rest. You know, it's like, I just couldn't live that way. So I sold out again. I don't own any stocks. That was it. I watch it, but They charge just... you to trade there or no? How does it work? How do they get, how do they make money? <laughs> so, oh, <coughs> excuse me. They're what's called a market maker. Because I was, I was fascinated by how it works. So they take a little fraction of a fee off of, off of trades. So That's how they do it. Yeah. So there's no – you know how they got me? I'm cheap. I didn't have to pay $12 to make the trade. I made 500 trades in a year for free, but I was using margin back to leverage. So I could put, you know, 50 grand in and you guys would give me 250 to play with. 5X, you know, whether I do good or bad. Leverage cuts both ways. So – I got into into that stuff, and um, and then you can get into options. I mean, you can control hundreds of thousands worth of securities with ten grand. It's crazy. That's nuts, dude. I only know a little bit about it. And then obviously, like we have people we know who like some people do the crypto stuff, and some people like are Bitcoin crazy. I'm like, yep. I don't. 
invest in things I don't understand. And I don't understand like Bitcoin. I mean, I know enough, but I don't really grasp it. Like, how is it just going berserk? So there was a guy at our event last night who used to play poker. Uh, and a lot of the online casinos and the poker players would transfer their money with Bitcoin because there was, you know, the online poker became illegal. I don't know how many years ago this was, right? When but, I was in college, you could do it. And then all like a couple of years later, like you couldn't do it anymore. Like, you couldn't even have an account. Right. So those guys switched to using Bitcoin and Bitcoin was practically free. It so like, It was like a dollar. He's telling me about these guys last night uh, that have thousands of coins. What's, like, what's a coin now? 50 grand? It, it crossed 50 grand this week, which was like a record. Jesus. So he's talking to me last night about guys he knows that were like the absolute dumbest guys he knows from like college that if they said they were going to do this, he'd go the other way, right? Yeah. And those guys have hundreds of millions of dollars in Bitcoin. That's crazy. It's pretty wild. The end game for that, I don't know. I'd like to, but... Well, I mean, it's all manipulated stuff. That Doja coin or whatever. That, oh, yeah. You Elon, know, Elon, Elon pushed that. I saw a post the other day about Elon moving the market based on his tweets. It happens, though. And people buy the wrong stock. Like, he, he named something. It was like some software-related thing. And a stock that's named a similar name, but totally unrelated to what Elon was tweeting about, jumped like 30% the, the next day. Just coincidence of name. It's 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 a joke. When you don't understand something, don't put a lot of your money into it. Would be my advice to everybody <laughs> listening. I just I don't know if that makes sense to you, but just if you don't know what the hell it is, maybe don't throw your life into it. Uh, before I get you to go, if someone's looking to buy um, like a property, like they're going to move to Scottsdale, yeah, Phoenix, it's just yeah. a, this is a good time to buy something. If you wait, what would you? If it was you, and yep. maybe except you. Years ago, you don't know what you know. You're a normal dude. You sold your house in Indiana. You got some money. 50 grand, 100 grand, 150, whatever it is. Yep. What's, uh, and the market, and so, cause here, here's what I hear now. Oh, hey, I went, well, I'll share two stories. One, for people here paying on a $400,000 house, 80000 over asking, like, and just going with it. <laughs> Raul was in here the other day. He goes, I got this couple from California, obviously, Sacramento. They were trying to get a place, things like Arcadia, like 2.5. And the agent calls back. He's like, hey, we got something that's, you know, a better offer. He's like, well, we'll pay 2.6. We'll waive the inspection. We don't give a shit. We just want it. And I ask him, I go, do the people really love it? He goes, Jeremy, they've never even seen it. They've seen it on a video and a couple photos. And they're going to pay 2.6 and waive everything cash. Like, that seems fucking crazy to me. I wouldn't buy my shitty used car if I couldn't look at it. But I'm an, I'm insane. But so people are doing that now. Like, is this normal? Is this what it's always going to be here? Like, you're going to pay, I'm going to list my house for 700 and you're going to pay me 810 because it's people are going to go crazy. Like, 30 people look at one house and they have bidding wars. So it's insane, dude. It is. Do you want to do that? Um, like, would you want to get into that? Well, so two, two parts to that. So yeah. I bought that car and never saw it and said, hey, send it out here, right? That's it, different, though. I'm just that way. Yeah. Was it, I was bought, it new? That one, no, I bought that used. Oh, certified pre-owned, though. You've yeah. got the Carfax and shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the it's not a house, though. Yeah, it was pulling a little bit. Yeah, and so I took to the dealer, and I'm like, hey, you know, maybe a wheel weight or something. Like the the wheel shakes a little bit, and uh, and I had driven it for like two months before I bothered to take it in. And um, they call me, and they're like, hey, yeah, so um, 
all four wheels are bent. It's going to be $16,000. Oh, That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, and you're going to buy a two and a half million dollar house and never see it? It's insane. So we're, we're regularly competing on $20, $30 million buildings, and there will be 30 offers. So we lost a deal last week that we were trying to buy. It was $19.5 million for like a 160-unit building in Dallas. And um, they wanted 19.2. We said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And they said, well, we need it to be hard on day one. We want 300000 down, non-refundable on day one, and you can have the building for that. We go, okay, fine. We'll do that too because we like the building. We like it at that price. Then they come back and go, you know what? That's not enough. We actually want 19.4 now, and we want 400000 down. And we go, okay, we still like it. You know, like, fuck you because that was unethical to do that to me. But, yeah, we still want the building. We'll do it. Then they came back and said, yeah, um, we're just going to take it to the market and see what the market will produce. $400,000 non-refundable day one above the list price. And I'm competing with guys enough where the seller is telling me, no, forget it. I'm going to go see if I can do better. That's, That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So if you're moving from Indiana and you've got 50 or 100 grand and you can buy a house here, I like Arizona real estate. I'm buying here. Uh, I believe in, in the future of our market. And I also think if you can borrow with 3% down, it's hard to screw that up. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm still a buyer. Yeah. Even, I mean, if, even if you're paying 50 over what... Well, I mean, let's not get out of hand here, right? Like that, that depends. It all depends on the situation. Um, There's houses where I would say, yeah, it makes sense. Like if it's two and a half million and you're paying a hundred extra, it's not a big of a deal. It's less of a deal. Yeah. But if you're doing 400 and it's 70 over, (laughs) that's a huge, I mean, dude, we're talking percentages here. Yeah. You pay 20% more than the shit's worth. That seems insane to me. Yeah. But people are doing it. But what do you do if there's no other homes and you want a house? Well, I told you I bought 14 houses a couple of weeks ago. Here? Yeah. And uh, what are those for? You're going to flip them? So, or rent them? Well, because of working with those institutions that buy houses like that, um, they're all rented. And I, um, I ran it by an institution called American Homes for Rent before I bought them and said, hey, what would you guys pay, the, pay me for these? So it's already in escrow to be resold to them. And I make, I make some money on it. Um, I wouldn't normally do that because I don't like transactional deals like yeah. we talked about. But there's there's a lot of zeros involved here, and it was it was worth the time. But my office hates me because I have 14 different properties, and it's just a paperwork and management nightmare. Even though we already have them resold before we bought them, now we're going through inspections with the institutional buyer and stuff. I mean – yeah, there's there's a time and a place to buy real estate. I still think Arizona is a good place to do it, um, you know. But you've got to understand the fundamentals of what you're doing. If I was coming from Indiana, I'd rent something for a year and figure out my bearings and figure out where I want to be and wait for the right deal and you know that kind of thing. I wouldn't just show up and pay seventy grand over because you need a house. Yeah, because I don't think it can't stay like that for no. the next two years no it seems I mean, insane we're in a we're in an odd time of supply and demand a lot of the country was completely shut down and arizona was largely open so we've had this just massive population influx which messed up all of our equilibrium of supply and demand i think we have like two weeks of housing inventory for sale in arizona something just obscene whereas typical is like six months worth of housing inventory is for sale it's just crazy to see like i've never seen anything like this in my whole life we bought a building in September, an apartment building in downtown Phoenix, a little one. It's only 36 units, and the rents are like 850. And um, 
we we're going to renovate the building and think we could get 1150. Well, we got the first batch of units finished last week and our management company now thinks we can get 1300 and we bought it. We thought we'd get 1150. So the rental rates and, and this area is down in a historic district, like right off the 10 in central Phoenix. Oh yeah. So bad. Um, the rent there has gone up that much since we bought it last year. That's crazy. I mean, that's the kind of appreciation you want to see over several years, and it happened in one year. That's insane. We dude. love that area. We love the asset for the long term, you know, so we bought it, right? But we're cognizant or aware of a whole bunch of other factors that are that are playing there. So we're comfortable buy and, and reach a little. The difference between now and 08 was back then, guys were buying 100% finance deals. It would rent for 2000 Their mortgage payment was 3000 and they're saying, it's fine. I'll feed it money every month because it's appreciating more than I'm losing. That's a failing strategy. And that, that doesn't even work if the, I mean, if the world's perfect, I guess it that really even doesn't work then. And only for so long. It works until the music stops. Which it did. <laughs> Which it did. All at once in one day. <laughs> right. God, it's crazy, dude. Um, yeah, man, this is a lot of shit, dude. Yeah. This works. What's um, anything else? We covered everything, right? I mean, yeah, we covered everything on here. The only thing I want to say is that, uh, one, if you are investing in real estate and you want to borrow some money, we'd love to talk to you. Or two, if you have money and you want to invest in real estate with guys that are good at what we do, um, we want to talk to you. Where um, where can they find all your stuff at if they want to stalk you and be weirdos like everybody <laughs> is nowadays? So um, our website's Hanson, R-E, for real estate, Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N-R-E.com. Um, or my Instagram is underscore Chris, underscore Hanson. Um, not the Dateline guy. Not the Dateline guy. No. Um, I've got a book coming out later this summer. We've got a bunch of speaking events. We're, we're traveling around the country talking to investors because we get a lot of, we get a lot of scale by bringing more people into what we're doing. Um, I've got a book, book coming out towards the fall. Um, what is the book about? What are we talking about? It's about the principles of real estate and investing in money. Um, like how you've done it. It's how I do it and how I see it. You know, like we talked about the lending stuff is, uh, you know, it's kind of a covered position. If everything goes right, we make a number we like. If things get sideways, we make more. Um, it's kind of how I see leverage and how we balance. We, you know, 100% of my capital is in Hanson Capital Group, and we balance that between debt and uh, value add, like these apartment buildings we buy, and then development. We've got three buckets, and I kind of break that down. Um, and how we see it, how we use leverage and why it's, you know, it makes a lot of money. And for like, this is for anybody can read it and understand it, or do you got to like have some base knowledge? No, we, we break this down for, you know, the average person to understand the financial principles. It's, you don't need a master's degree in finance to understand it. It's, it's got pictures. (laughs) I like that already. I like it already. I like it. We've got a circle of kind of how we allocate money. You know, a lot of people are familiar with stocks and bonds and how they say you've got to balance your portfolio and all that kind of stuff. Like Diversify, kids. Exactly. Yeah. We diversify between development, which is, you know, longer term, big risk, but we make money in multiples, not as percentages. We do value add stuff kind of in the middle. And then we, we park money in lending for, you know, cash flow and, and a hedge. So it's just kind of the principles of, of that 
that asset allocation strategy and why it works, why it will produce money over the long run. It's not quick. It's not sexy, but it makes money over time. You follow it and you, you end up with a lot. I mean, basically you do what you're doing is like being invested in the market anyway. If you think about it, right? Yeah. I'm just playing a different part of the market. Yeah. You could go mine for gold or you could sell shovels. Yeah. I like this. I like the shovel business, you know, cause you're holding these properties for like you would hold the stock. In essence. Warren Buffett's got a few phrases that uh, I like. One is back to your market question. One is, uh, more money has been lost in trying to predict markets than in markets themselves. Right. And you, nobody's got a crystal ball. No. Right. So you got to buy and over the test of time, things work. And, um, that's, <laughs> I said there was two. That's my favorite one. Um, the other thing that Warren Buffett is pretty known for is, you know, the ideal hold period is forever. Right. He's, he says that all the time on stocks. What's our ideal hold period? Forever. Because you go back over any period of time in the U.S., and this is the same with the stock market. Over these bigger chunks of time, you made money. Yes. Right? Unless you just pick one stock. If you buy GameStop at the wrong time a couple <laughs> weeks ago, yeah. you got smoked, yeah. right? But well, if you follow index funds, you do good. Yeah. Real estate's the same. Over any period of time, stock market and real estate. Um, Appreciate. Real estate has, has done better. Um well, if like you believe in America, you believe in the stock market, in essence, kind of. I mean, if you think America is going to exist, the stock market will exist. These dudes are doing shit that makes sure the money goes up, whether it's right or wrong. Like when you see it, like 100%. That's how they make money. Like the world's eating shit. Well, we're going to give these companies millions of dollars just to bump into them to basically bail them out. And then basically makes the stock prices go up and these CEOs get bonuses. That's how it's always been. It's the giant Ponzi scheme of life. <laughs> Is it not, though? It, I mean, no, you're 100% right. I mean, there's some great books on this topic of how much a scam the whole thing is and how it ties into banking. And, you know, I don't I don't get too deep in the conspiracy theorist stuff, but I can tell you if I own this building and I have a deed and it's in my name, I feel better knowing I could always get money out of it, whether I sell it or I rent it. Yep. Then, well, I sure hope these guys who run this publicly traded entity are not going to fuck me somehow. Yeah. You know, well, at least I own these shares of paper. That's worthless. It's crazy, dude. Well, you do that. You, you are invested. It's just in real estate as yeah. opposed to Apple. I play in a different side of it. Yeah. Same concept. Though. I like to own buildings that the tenants are publicly traded companies. That's a great thing. Yeah. That's so. gnarly, dude. Um, so the book is coming out when? Uh, it's, it's slated for September. Where are you guys putting it on? Everywhere? Amazon? Oh, yeah. It'll be everywhere. We've got a... a a good publisher behind it. Um, I we're working on a couple of things that I want to do before I name them. Yeah. But uh, you know, if if you're if anybody who's listened today is interested in what we're talking about, if they send me an email, Chris C H R I S at Hanson R E, or send me a message on um, Instagram, and just put leverage in it, you know, or JSF or something like that. But leverage, I'll, I'll know. I will send a copy um, before it gets released or published to anybody i'll throw i'll throw those people on a list and send that out to them i'd like it to free stuff everybody loves free shit um i'll put in the show notes too and i'll put this on we'll put a photo on instagram too people can see it Perfect. um but don't send him like weird naked pictures and like creepy shit because it's, it's this is not grinder this is just he's just trying to help you guys <laughs> but people are weird so um you think also, that goes without saying but you know i would think so but i see messages every day i'm like i'm old and married i don't know why you guys are sending these things but it happens dude um so don't do it to chris he doesn't need that in his life um awesome bro 
Yeah. It's a lot of info. This is all good shit. I learned yeah. a lot, too. Um, well, hey, thanks for keeping me in shape. I'm trying, you know? man. You know, one, it's, just like, it's just like real estate, dude. Just Show up and do the work. <laughs> and eventually, you know, you'll be fit. That's it. <laughs> um, awesome, bro. So you guys will find him at uh, HansonRE.com and then underscore Chris underscore Hanson. I'll put it all in the show notes. You guys will see it. I'll throw up on Instagram. But if you got a question for him and you can't find him, obviously shoot us a DM, hit us up. I'll connect you guys. Uh, and then I'll link everything else from there. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, stop. Don't be a lazy ass. Drop us a five-star, leave a comment. I truly would appreciate it. And if you got a question for Chris or for me, um, just hit us up, and I'll connect you guys if need be. So uh, until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.